You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. Today we're talking about hope in a time when things never seem to end. And I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Romans. And if you don't have a Bible, I think this will be on the screen. But we're looking at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And here's our theme, remember, hope when things never seem to end. So out of honor of God, will you stand now for the reading of God's word? Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself would also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons in the redemption of the body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Father, may you speak now. It's always a privilege to stand in this pulpit. I'm so thankful for George and his leadership here and continuing to be true to your word, preaching your word Sunday after Sunday. May you bless him. May you bless his staff. May you bless the leaders and the Bible teachers in this church. And may you bless this church today as we look to you for hope when things never seem to end. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 2020 really has been one of those years where things never seem to end. Now, the obvious reason for that is COVID. And I doubt anybody here back in March would have been thinking that we would still be dealing with the coronavirus. And now we could be entering even into a second wave in light of what's happening in Europe and other places in the United States. We don't know. But one thing for sure, it is almost like every day is Groundhog Day all over again. Every day is Wednesday. Every day seems the same. It's hard to plan when you're dealing with a situation like the coronavirus. When will it ever end? But secondly, there are great economic uncertainties that don't seem to end because largely of COVID. We had an economy that was soaring and then COVID hit and it was like a crash. And since that time, the economy has been roaring back. And yet those of you in the entertainment industry, those of you who are in the hospitality industry, those of you in the airline industry, those of you who work with restaurants, it's just been devastating what has happened and how difficult it is to come back. And if there is a second wave, what is going to happen to the economy? So it's like this uncertainty about the economy never seems to end. But that's not all. 
We live in a day where racial injustice and racial tension continues to plague us. Back earlier in the summer with the horrific killing of George Floyd and what was really almost like a modern-day lynching of the young black man that was jogging near Brunswick, Georgia, I just shook my head in dismay thinking this it's like we were going back to the 1960s in the height of the civil rights movement. It's been 50 years. How can we still be dealing with all of this after all of this time? And then riots began to result. Then anarchy began to result. And the chaos on the streets, I thought, was a good night. And yet we know it's ongoing. It just never seems to end. But also these storms this year. I don't know whether you've been keeping up with our hurricanes and tropical storms, but we went all the way through the English alphabet. Now we're in the Greek alphabet and we're still not done. Only folks in fraternity and sororities even know how to name these storms right now. Because it's a new experience for us in America. It just seems like they will never end. I was in Lake Charles after the hurricane there and it was like planes had dropped bomb after bomb over that city. It was in the news two or three days now. It's old news, people have forgotten, but those people are going to be digging out for years in light of the damage that took place there. And then the election season. It seems like we've moved into an American culture that has a permanent election season cycle. But we thought, surely on November 3rd, all of this will come to an end, and it did not. Now it looks like Joe Biden is our president-elect, and yet we also know that in the state of Georgia, We've got a runoff for the two U.S. Senate seats. And so we've got two more months of all those ads where the campaign guys talk about how bad the other guy is. It's so distasteful. It's so discouraging. Y'all pray for us over there in Georgia. That's not going to be any fun. In the Christmas season, having to deal with all that stuff? It's like it just never seems to end. Now, we need to pray. For Joe Biden, we need to pray for President Trump in this time of transition, but it's just like another thing, just part of 2020. When is this going to end? And then there are personal problems that some of you are dealing with. Could be a chronic illness. You don't seem to make any progress. Could be dealing with elderly parents and the ongoing saga of that. It could be that you're going through the heartbreak of divorce or the child of a divorced family and the pain, and the sense of rejection, and all those things. They just We could go on and on. But I really have good news today. That there is hope, and God's Word tells us how we can have hope when some things, a lot of things that bother us, never seem to end. Now let's begin in verse 19. I know we started in 18, but let's start here in 19. And look at what the Word of God says. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. There is something within every person here, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you follow Jesus or you do not, there is this anxious longing that something here on earth just ain't right. Things about this life just aren't as we long for them to be. And whether you're a Christian or not, you know it. The person who is not a follower of Christ may not realize it has to do with becoming a child of God in order to make things right in your own life. But there is just this anxious longing that all of creation has. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, 
I want to go back to the beginning. This verse really deals with this. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, everything was good. Now think about what it meant. There was perfect harmony over all of creation. There was no killing of any kind. There was no killing among the animal kingdom. You may see a National Geographic special or Discovery special and you see the lions attacking the weaker animals and they just say, that's just how it's supposed to be. That's just nature and you need to shout at the screen, no, it is not. That is never what God had in mind. He had in mind no killing amidst his creation, even among the animal kingdom. And you see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Think about it. Man had the perfect environment Man had the perfect job. Adam and Eve had the only perfect marriage in the history of earth. I mean, everything was good. And then man sinned. And when man sinned, what verse 20 is talking about, the creation was subjected to futility. Now, think about how that happened with mankind. Now, listen, everyone. Are you listening? From the moment that man sinned, there was an instant separation from God that man experienced. That had never happened. And from the moment man sinned, there was spiritual death with man that would lead to physical death. One of the preschoolers in our church back in Atlanta, Johnson Ferry, came home and he was just ticked at Adam and Eve. He said, they were just idiots. And your parents said, why do you call Adam and Eve idiots? He said, COVID. We would have COVID if those idiots hadn't sinned in the first place. Well, that child had pretty good theology. That child really understood. Because sickness and disease that leads to death entered when man sinned. But that's not all. When man sinned, for the first time, man felt shame. So many of you struggle with shame so much. And man, for the first time, dealt with guilt. So many of you struggle with guilt so much. And not only that, when man sinned, then all of a sudden you see man engaging in the first cover-up because there's something about our sin nature that when we've done bad, we don't want others to know how bad we really are, especially God. And so the first cover-up goes up. Then we see the victimization mindset begins right there with Adam and Eve, this idea of blaming others, blaming somebody else for the things I've done wrong. We live in a culture that is eaten up with a victimization mindset of blaming other people for struggles that we have often brought on ourselves, or just life itself in a fallen world. But that's not all. When Adam and Eve sinned, you begin to see the battle of the sexes and the tension in the husband-wife, male-female relationship for the first time in the history of earth. And not only that, when man sinned, you begin to see a futility of work. Everything about work had been great. Adam had the perfect job. But the moment man sinned, work began to take on futility, and all of a sudden there were depressions, there were famines, there were recessions, there were all kinds of striving and working the land and yet not sure that much fruit would be produced. It was a dramatic change, this futility. But listen carefully now, are you listening? I really believe what verse 20 is talking about is not just mankind, it says creation was subjected to futility. I really believe that when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time throughout the animal kingdom, animals felt fear. 
There was no such thing as wild animals before man's sin. Everything was in harmony. But man's sin, and all of a sudden there was a shudder in the animal kingdom. Something wasn't right, and all of a sudden, intuitively, animals had this fear of man and then fear of one another. And all of creation got out of whack. And it wasn't the animal's fault. It wasn't the environment's fault. It was because of man's sin. And that's exactly what God's word is talking about. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, that's man who subjected it. But he goes on. In hope that the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption and the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now here's what man tends to do. All of us are very good at seeing corruption in others. We're very good at that. We're very weak at seeing corruption within our own hearts and minds. The people that are the harshest on others are often the most blind to their own sinfulness. That self-righteous pride seeps in as we look at other people that are different from us or think differently from us. And that's exactly what is being talked about here. It's, it's talking about this, this desire to end the corruption that is a part of our world. Think about this historically. Think about it. Why did the Revolutionary War here in America come about? It was because of the corruption of King George III in England. And thankfully, we were blessed with some founding fathers that were geniuses who at least acknowledged man's sinfulness by dealing with the balance of power through the executive branch, the judiciary, and the Congress. They at least understood the sinfulness of man in seeking to create a more perfect society. And yet still, the corruption among mankind continued in spite of the gift that our founding fathers gave to the world at large. And what a gift it is, and yet it still didn't resolve the corruption problem. Think about a short time after that in the French Revolution. They blamed God and blamed the church and blamed the royalty. And so they were going to end that, and then it quickly led to all those deaths by beheading through the guillotine. And chaos ensued in France. Think about 1917. There was a mindset that we're going to end the corruption of the aristocracy and the royalty, so we'll form a new government, a Marxist government, there in Russia. And the idea that if we can just have equality of income, equality economically, then our problems will be resolved. And after 70 years, finally, there was a recognition of what a colossal failure that experiment was. But think about later in the 20th century with Adolf Hitler and the mindset of the Third Reich where all of a sudden he would be leading Europe into prosperity and leading Europe in a greater way than ever before. And think about what happened. Over 50 million lives were killed, including over 7 million Jews. And one of the grossest forms of evil in the history of the world. And then think about what happens here in America every four years. There's the mindset, if we can just elect the right president, then all our problems will be solved. Who are you kidding? You think corruption ends because your guy gets in the White House? And think about what happened just this summer in Seattle and Portland and other cities around America. Setting up really what they were looking for was a utopia without any acknowledgement of man's sin. 
And any culture that begins like that always ends in chaos and disaster or totalitarianism. Because you see, man can look through all of man's efforts to end the corruption of creation, longing for something better. Even man that doesn't know God is longing for something better, sensing things aren't as they're supposed to be. But man cannot resolve the problems. Verse 22 of Romans chapter 8, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, when somebody is groaning, they are expressing deep agony and pain. We know creation groans. The other night when Zeta was passing through Atlanta, you know, we don't have many hurricanes in Atlanta. But Ann and I woke up and heard those winds 50 to 60 miles an hour. That's very mild. That's not really hurricane level. But man, it sounded like creation was groaning out there. But we see here that what God's Word tells us is this groaning is like the pains of childbirth. Now, Paul's not original here. He is comparing a deep groaning that occurs in a mother-to-be's life when she's about to give birth, a deep groaning. And he's not original on this. When I was preaching here in 2017, about a little over three years ago, I took you through the text, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, where Jesus talks about the signs of his second coming. And he compares those signs, whether it's false messiahs, false prophets, whether it's wars and rumors of wars, whether it's natural disasters that could include everything from earthquakes and hurricanes to pandemics. Jesus says they are like birth pains. And I shared with you then about how when Ann was giving birth to George, we were living in Houston then, your pastor was about to come into the world. And I shared with you about how, you know, we had learned through Lamar's classes what the husband's supposed to do. And as the childbirth pains were getting more and more intense and more and more difficult for Ann, I was to rub her back and just keep rubbing her back to try to help her through that time and you know after I'd rubbed her back for a couple of hours I turned to her and I said you know this rubbing rubbing your back is wearing me out <laughs> well I want you to know it was the stupidest statement in the history of man I mean it was stupid I mean I have a wonderful wife a loving wife but she looked at me with daggers in her eyes I'd never seen that before I mean that was the meanest look the audacity of me to make a statement that stupid because those of you who are moms you know that when you get into labor pains They're kind of irregular at first. Sometimes you're not even sure you're going into labor. And then the closer and closer you get to the birth of the child, the more regular and the more intense is the pain. And that's what Jesus is teaching us about what's going to happen the closer and closer we come to his second coming. All these things that he talks about and creation groaning is just going to get more and more intense, more and more regular. But like the birth of a child... And the mother holding that baby in her arms for the first time, very quickly the pain of childbirth is forgotten as she rejoices in the wonderful gift of bringing about new life in this world. And that's how it will be when Jesus comes back for his church. All the pains and the difficulties of this life are going to be quickly forgotten as the joy of Christ bringing about a restoration of his creation to what God originally intended for it to be is going to be overwhelming joy. And that's what's being talked about here. But let's think about the hope that goes with all that. Come back to verse 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, understand what God's word is telling you. For the Christian, for the follower of Christ, all suffering is temporal. Now, let me repeat, let me repeat that. For the Christian, all suffering in this world from the groaning of all creation to personal problems you're dealing with, all suffering is temporal. You say, well, if death comes, that's not temporal. Listen, your suffering is very temporal when it comes to death because if you're a follower of Christ, your soul is instantly in heaven with the Lord and your sufferings are over. Now, this is not true for the non-believer if you're not a follower of Christ. Your sufferings will be eternal if you don't come to accept God's solution to your sin problem and realize your need for a Savior to save you from your sin. If you never come to make that decision, your sufferings will be eternal, and that's what Jesus calls hell. You don't want any part of that. But what Scripture is telling us, for the follower of Christ, all sufferings are just temporary compared to being in the presence of the glory of God for all of eternity. Secondly, skip down to verse 23. Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, when a person comes to trust Christ... We receive a gift, and that gift is called the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to bring about fruit in our life as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And that fruit is described in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's all these character traits of Jesus so that you and I can take on the spirit and the character of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and gives us a desire to repent of our sin and the Holy Spirit takes us to the Word of God and the Word of God teaches us how to live in a way that is pleasing to Christ, we become more and more like Jesus in spirit and character. That is the fruit of the Spirit. But even though that good thing occurs, we still ourselves groan within ourselves. Now, why is that? Why would we still groan which is a picture of agony and pain when we have come to receive salvation. Well, we groan at times because of our own sinfulness. We do things that we know are wrong, and it distresses us greatly at what we have done. You know, in my days at Carolina, my sophomore year, I really remember just going through a stage when I was so afraid I was going to commit the unpardonable sin, I didn't even know what it was. But just feeling a conviction about my own sinfulness, and I can't tell you what a tremendous help it was. I began to study the book of Romans, and I came to Romans chapter 7. And in Romans 7, beginning in verse 14, let me give you a summary of what the Apostle Paul says in verses 14 to the end of the chapter. He basically says this, dang, I did it again. That's really what he says over and over. In verses 14 through 25, dang, I did it again. And I can't tell you what a tremendous comfort it was to me for this great theologian, this great missionary of the church, this spiritual giant to confess in Romans 7 that he still struggled with sin. That's the groaning from our own sin. But there's also a different kind of groaning from sin. And it's from the sin of others. 
you listen to the news, you watch the news, you read the news, you think about things that are going on in the world, and sometimes we literally just groan at the evil that goes on in our world. Sometimes it's in your own relationships, and you face rejection. You face people that stab you in the back. You, you face heartache and disappointment, and there's just a deep groaning because of the sins of others. So even though it is so wonderful when we receive salvation, it's so wonderful when the Spirit of the Lord begins to live in us, we still groan within ourselves because of the sin in this world. Because you see, we're looking for something better. Even a person who is not a follower of Christ doesn't realize what they're looking for, but they're looking for something better. But there's also another hope, and that is the redemption of our body. Now, this is what I'm getting more and more excited about. I'm in my 60s, and I tell you, the way my body feels every morning when I wake up, I am looking forward to the redemption of the body. What is this? Well, when Christ comes for his church in what is called the rapture, you can read about it, do your own study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. When Christ comes for his church, it is at that point that we are, those of us who are followers of Christ are going to be given a new body. It will be a new resurrected body like Jesus' resurrected body. And what it means is it is a body that will never get coronavirus. It will never get sick. It will never get dead. Can you imagine? That's going to be unbelievable. And I've often wondered, you know, what's that body? I, what's it going to be like? You know, I hope it's not a body in my 60s. I hope it's not. I, you know, what, what age would be good? I, I think maybe 25 or 30. That'd be just ideal, something like that. I don't know what it'd be like, but I tell you what, it's going to be a better body than I've got now. Oh, thank goodness. We have the redemption of the body to hope for. That's the promise of God's Word. We get to receive a body like Jesus that never gets sick and dies. That's a pretty extraordinary promise. But that's not all. Look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not really hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we await eagerly for it. Now, here's the thing about salvation. It occurs when you and I hear or read the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and Christ rose from the dead. That is the gospel. But when you and I come to believe it, it means that we are acknowledging that we are sinners. Because if Christ died for our sins, he is dying in our place to pay the penalty that you and I should pay. That is the judgment of God and that is death. He has given his life so that you and I can be forgiven and made right with God. It's not anything we do, it's what he has done. So the gospel is incredibly good news, but it also means acknowledging we have to make a decision. Will we finally come to our senses and recognize that we are the problem? It is our sin that is the problem. And yet God has given us a solution to our sin, a way to be forgiven of our sin, a way to be cleansed of our sin through what Christ has done. And not only that, there's another bonus. Christ rose from the dead, and whoever follows Jesus gets to conquer sin, death, and escape hell. That's mighty good news. That's what the gospel is. But we can't see Jesus in the flesh today like the disciples who walked the earth in the first century with Jesus. We don't get to see Jesus in the flesh. But we have the written word of God that God has given us so that we put our hope for salvation in the claims of Scripture that reveals to us the gospel. 
and we hope for something we haven't seen. And because of that, when we receive salvation, we are filled with this special hope that gives us the ability to persevere through the difficult times of life, especially those years when all these situations never seem to end. God gives us the ability to keep on keeping on because we are filled with hope of what is to come in so many ways. I don't know what you're dealing with, and I don't know the hardships you're facing and the difficulties you're facing, but I do know this. In Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you, you can have a power beyond yourself to persevere and face any challenge and hardship and difficulty of this world knowing that one day all of these challenges and problems are coming to an end. That is good news. So think about what this passage is saying to us. Think about the hope that is there. First of all, we have the hope of a new body. That's a great hope. One day, no more sickness, no more death. We have the hope, though, that when we do die and our physical body gives out that we're going to be in heaven that's a great hope. We have the hope of also knowing that when Christ comes and we get to come with him if we're a follower of Christ and to join with the redeemed Israel at that point in the second coming of Christ and Christ begins to reign on the earth, he is going to bring about judgment on all evil on the earth beginning with the Antichrist and his followers and those who have rejected Christ. And even though judgment is something you feel like doesn't really include the love of God the judgment of God in eliminating evil from the face of the earth is one of the greatest expressions of the love of God. Because you see, what happens then is at last, now listen, are you listening? Are you listening? At last, all of creation is brought back to the point and restored to what God had in mind when he brought about creation in the first place. And let me give you a picture of it. It's not my picture, it's the Word of God's picture. Turn to the book of Isaiah. If you're new to Bible study, just open your Bible to about the middle. Maybe go back a little bit to the left. You'll find one of the major prophets, Isaiah. He gives insight about what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes and restores his kingdom here on earth. And you can read about it all through chapter 11 of Isaiah. But let's just look at a few verses in Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 6. Now listen carefully to what this says. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Imagine this. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Imagine that. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the, as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. That's a reference to the Messiah that would be coming 700 years after Isaiah prophesied this. And we know that Messiah is Jesus who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Where will it be? It will be from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, if that ain't great enough to think about and hope in, turn to another prophet by the name of Micah. He's one of the minor prophets. They're only minor because they're short-winded versus the long-winded major prophets. Micah chapter 4, and we'll read just a couple of verses. Just turn over to Micah 
chapter 4 or listen to these words many nations will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord what is the mountain of the Lord that's Jerusalem it's called Zion in scripture to the house of God of Jacob that is Israel and this is what the Messiah Jesus will be doing then when he has come again that he may teach us about his ways that we may walk in his paths for from Zion, that is Jerusalem, will go forth the law. In other words, imagine we get to hear the word of God through the written word of God today in worship. But when Jesus comes again, we will have the word of God with us in the flesh once again. And as people to look, look to Jerusalem either by television or internet or in person, they learn from the word of God, Jesus, about how God wants us to live in this new world. It'll be happening from Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. And listen to this. Listen now. Are you listening? Then he will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. Listen to this. And never again will they train for war. Can you imagine? Living in a world where there is at last true peace on earth and man doesn't have to worry about the fear of war or violence from one person to another. As the weapons of war are transformed into tools for good use. Folks, this is going to be glorious and you don't want to miss it. And so amidst all the troubles of this world that are caused by man's sin, we need to remember the hope that is found in the Lord. Because all of us, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you are not, you look at the world around you and you say, things just ain't as I long for them to be. But one day they will be. And the question is, will you be a part of it or will you miss out? because of your stubborn pride in feeling like you can manage things your way? Or will you have the humility to recognize that because of our sin, we need a Savior, and that is why God sent His Son? Even though we rebel against God over and over, He loves each of you, each of you, all of us, so much that He sent His Son to save us from our sin, to literally be our Savior. And then to begin to transform us into being the kind of person he wants to be. And yes, we're going to groan in this life because of the problems of our sin and the sins of others. And the corruption of this world. But we live with a great hope that one day, not only do we get to experience heaven with the Lord when we die, but one day Jesus is coming here and on earth at last, one day, all of creation is going to be what we're longing for creation to be and there's never going to be a man in man's strength to bring this about and we will see that in the climax of the antichrist at the end of the age no matter how gifted and incredibly talented and charismatic that political world leader will be he still cannot end the corruption of man because of man's sin only Jesus will bring about a culture a life a life of peace, a life of harmony, a life of justice. Only Jesus can bring this about.
So may you and I, in this year when all these struggles never seem to end, may you and I put our hope in Jesus so that we can persevere and seek to live in the will of God, to make a difference for good in this world, and not only that, to share with others the ultimate answer that is found in Jesus. For when we do that, we are pointing people to the ultimate hope for this life, and the life to come. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we get so bogged down in the corruption of this world and the sinfulness of our own souls. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us, to send us Jesus, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us right with you because of what he has done, because of who he is. And Father, for those who know they're not close to you, maybe they're joining us online today, maybe they're here in person, but they know they're not close to you, they know they're not right with you, or they've just been convicted by your spirit today, they need to get right with you. And they see the ultimate answer and hope is in Jesus. May they just come to you and say, Lord, forgive me, I... I've been missing this. It could be one of those classic cultural Christians sitting in the pews of a church, thinking they're a Christian, believing what the Bible says, but they've never really given you their heart and life. May this be the day, Father, when they make that most important decision for the eternal destiny of their life. And Father, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, as we get so discouraged by the corruption of your creation, by the struggle with sin within and sin without in this world, by the suffering that so many face, Lord, may we remember your promises in your word of these ultimate hopes you give us in Jesus. And Lord, may we continue to persevere knowing that you have called us to be followers of Christ in order to share this good news with others, in order to love others, in order to bring justice to other lives, in order to make this world a better place in the midst of all the struggles around us. But most of all, in order to share with them this good news of Jesus, the gospel. Oh Lord, may we persevere because of the hope you give us in Christ and in your word. For we pray this prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.